Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and managing partner of Cordell and Cordell. And again, we continue to bring you uh, information for guys before, during, and after divorce and all things family law. And this episode is no different. And we always start by asking you to make sure you know this isn't legal advice. This is just uh, information, educational. You want to take these to a lawyer who practices exclusively in family law like Cordell and Cordell. You can find us on the web. CordellaCordell.com on social media, and you want to go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast. We do this twice every week. In addition to our virtual town halls every month, you want to check that out as well at CordellaCordell.com. If you need a consultation, which we always urge you to do so, when you take information from these podcasts, go ahead and give us a call, 866-DADS-LAW, or get more information about the local office nearest you since we're all over the country, including the United Kingdom. You can check us out at CordellaCordell.com. Dot com. So I'm joined again, uh, repeat guest, Alex Ritter from Connecticut. Welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here again. Great. Well, uh, we're going to talk about guardian ad litems and a new term, uh, which we were discussing off camera, uh, AMC, which we'll get to that and explain what that is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll preface this, obviously, all around the country. Uh, these, you may not be familiar with GAL or guardian ad litem or attorney for minor child. Uh, there's child advocate, friend. I mean, there's a name for this uh, designation that varies all around the country, but I can be certain that there is one in your area that applies to you. So if this doesn't sound familiar, the concept and the purpose and, and the actual tool, this instrument that may or may not be applied in your case or you may or may not want it is highly relevant and highly important because it can make the difference, all the difference in the world in your case. So Alex, let's start with, we've talked about GALs, guardian ad litems before, but let's talk about what they are first so that someone new doesn't, or is not familiar with the term, they may know and understand once you explain what a guardian ad litem is. Right, so a guardian ad litem is a person who is appointed by the court, either by agreement or successful motion, uh, to represent the best interests of the minor child in a divorce. Uh, they're different from AMCs, and I, I know we'll get to that in a bit, but but it's really looking at you know what's going on in a custody dispute and what's really truly in the best interest of the minor child, because that's what the court is gonna be looking at when they're trying to make a determination as to a custody arrangement, parenting plan, parenting access, and, and those types of issues. So the guardian, um, it's interesting, and we've talked in the past about, and I know I've done this at seminars in person when we were doing them around the country, about this role and their importance, which we'll get to, um, and why you may or may not want one. But Mm -hmm. let's talk about the role of the guardian, Mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of weave our way through it. So the role of the guardian, one of the things that they're going to be, well, they do several things, but some of the important things they do is they're going to be investigating, you know, the factual, you know, or the claims that are going on in a case. They're going to be talking to the parents. They're also going to need to look at other information. They're going to look at medical records. They're going to look at school records, uh, therapists' records. They're going to engage with those types of situations and understand what's truly going on um, and the context for either, you know, the behaviors or, you know, the custody situations or what what's really at issue there. So that's part of what their role is, is to investigate and report back on those issues. Now in Connecticut, uh, do they have to be an attorney? They don't, no. They can be, you know, any type of background, psychological, mental health professional, and sometimes that would be, you know, a benefit to your case depending on the, the facts and circumstances that exist. And, you know, interestingly in Missouri, they're an attorney to represent the child. And um, I often say, you know, you might as well appoint a plumber. 
because <laughs> I mean, I say it, it sounds derogatory or demeaning, but the point I have is I, I just never feel qualified to make those decisions for children. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, you know, a social worker. I don't have a mental health background. And some of these attorneys, albeit they have training here locally, they're not trained in that fashion. And that's why I find it unique that you can appoint uh, a psychologist as a GAL, which makes a whole lot more sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, because these are the individuals who are wholly trained to make those analysis, the forensic dig digging or whether or not is say, you know, here's what it is. It, and it kind of maybe takes the place of an expert that we otherwise would retain. Mm -hmm. um, so are your GALs, are they guided by statute where they have to do certain things? Is that how, you know, kind of frames their role? Yeah, that's right. So when they're appointed, they're given a list of directives or, or you know, um, like you said, uh, they're, they're guided by statute in terms of what they're directed to do and look into. Um, sometimes they can be very limited. Sometimes they can, you know, run the gamut of all the, you know, different things that they can do by statute. It just depends on the case. So let's talk about how they're appointed because speaking at least from Missouri, um, technically speaking, the only way a guardian is to be appointed is when there are allegations of abuse or neglect, uh, or this loose language in the statute when custody is at issue and, you know, by court order. Mm -hmm. And so technically you have to allege abuse or neglect, but then you have a lot of judges who, you know, want to appoint a third party because they don't want to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And so you get that kind of, and that's why it's important to understand and maybe the jurisdictions around the country are very and maybe more restrictive, but how does it work in Connecticut? So there don't have to be specific allegations of neglect or abuse in Connecticut to get a guardian ad litem appointed. Uh, in fact, most recently with the COVID shutdowns and everything that we've been experiencing, family services has really been hamstrung in what they can do to assist parties. So a lot of people are saying, hey, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but we're going to be able to get through the process quicker in these disputes if we hire a guardian ad litem. So you don't have to have those specific things, but I think that there has to be a lot of conflict or uh, some serious questions as to why they can't resolve either legal custody or, or parenting access mm -hmm. or, or any other issues, but, but mainly those. Right. And I think, you know, as I explained to clients and uh, we, we walk on eggshells when it comes to the appointment of a guardian, because it's a wild card in mm -hmm. my mind, in that you really don't know who you're gonna get. Um, technically, judges here will say, okay, here's the list, see if you can agree. And rarely is there an agreement, it's very difficult at times, just from the standpoint that we represent men a lot, and we do represent women, but it's majority men, and they kind of know, and I'm gonna pick someone who I know is pro-dad, or tends to go 50-50 or better, and then usually that they're discounted. So how are they appointed in Connecticut? I mean, does the, the clients have a say-so? Is it just independently appointed? Um, the clients do have a say-so. Generally speaking, at least in my experience and, and from the other attorneys that I work with, you know, at the bar, you know, we'll sit down with a list and we'll look through and say, hey, you know, maybe this this GAL would be good for this issue. We're dealing with this issue. How about this one? Um, if, if we can't agree, you know, we try to either go back to the court and have a status conference with the judge and maybe the judge makes the decision based on, you know, things or tells us this is what she, he or she would strongly recommend. I think most of the time we reach an agreement on to, on who we're going to use. I think if it's that contested, you're probably headed to a full custody trial anyway. So, right. you know, it's, it's, um, but I would say definitely, yeah, I think it's more just trying to, you know, have the attorneys take a look at it, you know, vet the list and then talk to the clients. And ultimately it's always the client's choice. Uh, but I think obviously they can be guided by, you know, the experiences that the attorneys have had with the various GALs. 
So can you get a change of a guardian ad litem if you don't like the one that's appointed? You can. Um, there are certain circumstances, um, you know, where you can have an, a guardian ad litem removed, just like you could any attorney in any case. Um, or, you know, obviously they don't always have to be attorneys. But, yeah, you can. I think that you have to have good cause. Um, you know, it can't just because you don't like somebody um, or you don't like the advice or the, you know, recommendations that the uh, guardian ad litem is giving. It has to be, you know, for a very good reason. And interestingly here, because they're appointed attorneys, uh, you get an automatic change if you don't like it within the first oh. set period of time. And That's it could interesting. Be that you didn't like the tie that they wore or <laughs> the blouse color, whatever it may be. And you don't have to even um, allege a reason, which is nice. It's similar. We have a change of judge very similarly. Right. It's automatic by right. Um, but, you know, you got to be careful and, and uh, burn bridges by doing it sometimes. Right. That's <laughs> difficult. So who pays for it? guardian do they charge the state do you, the parties pay for it what happens right so in that particular case um, usually the parties pay for that there are state appointed GALs so if the parties qualify based on income you know guidelines they might get a state's rates uh, case as opposed to you know a private pay guardian ad litem it depends on the situation and the case of course as it does those are our favorite words right is it depends mm -hmm. um, but the point is is that the the guardian ad litem's fees are generally split between the parties um, ten to be 50-50, generally speaking, but if there's a disparity in income that makes a proportional argument more appropriate, you know, then the court will consider that and we go and we have, you know, if we can't agree it, we go and we have an argument in front of the judge and they'll make the decision on that. Yeah. And they can testify um, in court after their investigation? Yeah. So that's the interesting thing about GALs, which makes them, I think, very critical in a lot of cases, is that they can testify. Um, and, and as I said before, they're looking at what's in the best interests of the minor child, not just what the child wants, which obviously can be very different. <laughs> yeah, um, right. so, so they are able to testify. And, and the unique thing about GALs is that they can also bring in the information that they've learned and obtained through the course of their work. So the therapist's reports or the medical reports, the school reports, you know, that kind of information can come in through the GAL, which is, which is, you know, critical, I think, in most cases. So can they cross-examine, do you say? Um, you know, act like an, you know, someone, if they're an attorney, I guess they should. They could. I think they if they're an, yeah, I think they're, if an attorney, they can't. I don't, I don't actually think they can cross-examine. I know they can testify as witnesses. Attorneys for the minor children cannot um, testify as a witness, but I think they can cross-examine. So there's a difference Interesting. there. So it's very similar. So here in Guardian's, and the way I, I, I paint the picture for guys, and that's why I say walk with caution, is ultimately after the investigation, the guardian's going to choose a side. They just will. They're not impartial at some point. Uh, and so you envision you've got a counsel table on one side, a counsel table on the other, where you have you know the petitioner and the respondent, the husband and the wife, or the partner and the partner. And then the guardian's going to sit at one of those tables just because there's two tables. So you now all of a sudden have two lawyers in Missouri mm -hmm. teaming up against one. And they do. They present evidence. They cross-examine. They present a proposed parenting plan. Uh, they have recommendations. And it's difficult. So you have to be very, very careful when you get a guardian because they're either with you or against you. It makes your case better or more difficult. And it is a, you know, a coin toss. That's interesting because in Connecticut, I think it's a bit different. They actually have their own table. They mm -hmm. sit apart from the parties. Um, and, you know, one of their things in their code of conduct is, you know, they have to be neutral. Um, they're not representing mom's interests or dad's interests. They're there for the best interests of the minor child. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's kind of a unique thing. I'm sure that it ends up in a lot of cases 
on one side or another. Um, sometimes they can come through and just say, look, you know, both parents need to realize that this is the way forward. Yeah. So, but it, but it can be difficult. It can be a very tricky situation. Even in the toughest of times, there are usually opportunities for relief. Many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders. You should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations, but time is of the essence. If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. So we've alluded to it, AMC, Attorney for Minor Child. What are the differences? What do they do that's different in kind of the process? So an attorney for the minor child is really an advocate for the minor child themselves as opposed to the best interest of the minor child. So it's kind of a nuanced difference, but they're there to support the best interest, but that may not necessarily align with um, the best interests of the minor child, if that makes sense. So, so I, I have this Fun analogy that was actually told to me through the course of my learning about this, but it's 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 relating to having pizza for dinner. Now everybody knows that you know most kids would much rather have pizza for dinner, or you know maybe it's just spaghetti and meat sauce or whatever they want, but they don't want to have the vegetables and everything else. So an AMC, an attorney for the minor child, is going to go and say, hey you know, my client wants pizza for dinner every night, and this is what I'm advocating for them. And, and you know, we're going to go forward with that. Whereas a GAL is going to say, well, yeah, it's really great to have pizza every night for dinner. You know, I know we all love it and it's really good, but it's probably not in your best interest to have pizza every night for dinner. You probably need to have a balanced meal, vegetables, you know, that kind of thing. And I know that's sort of a simple example, but it sort of shows the difference that, you know, the AMC advocates for the child, whereas the yeah. GAL advocates for the child's best interest, um, which may not be in alignment with what the child wants. Boy, it's such an interesting, because uh, as you describe it, I was thinking it, it's very similar to the difference between a treating psychologist and a forensic, where a treating psychologist will accept as true everything that the patient says and doesn't you know, try to challenge. If you tell me the grass is blue, and I look out and I know it's green. I'm not going to challenge you to convince you that it's green. I'm going to accept mm -hmm. as true that the grass is blue and I'm going to treat you accordingly. You know, we'll work through those issues. And it sounds very similar to what the AMC is, is that you may say, I like pizza every day. You, we know pizza is not good for you. Right. And it's going to clog your arteries, blah, blah, blah. And, but you don't challenge it. I, I, it's interesting because I, I, my first reaction is I don't see that as having any help whatsoever to the judge because especially in custody matters when you may have a teenager who we all know I want to be with mom because mm -hmm. mom lets me stay up till 2 a.m. Dad makes me in at 12 and that is an irrational decision in terms of it shouldn't even be considered. Right. It's very interesting. It is very interesting. And that's where, you know, you have to be really careful with what you're choosing for your case. Because, you know, if you have, for example, a 14 year old who, you know, it's at a certain point, the judge is going to say, well, you know, you want to, you may want to win the battle, but lose the war. You know, you want your son to be over with you, but mom is maybe, you know, influencing that. And you appoint an attorney for the minor child who says, well, I want to go, you know, with whatever it may not be in their best interest and, and, you know, it's not going it, to, it's maybe not what yeah. should be happening. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it's very interesting. So um, it's not going to help the judge, but of course, at some point, the age of the child, the judge says, well, they should have some input, you know, um, as to what's yeah. going on, but you have to really look at those factual considerations as to what's truly going on. Is mom influencing? Yeah. Are they not, you know, that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Cause I'm thinking now, you know, just, 
because this is so unusual, we don't have that here, which is you know, to me an advantage. I just, I can't imagine dealing with a scenario in which I have an AMC, I have a child who's been sub subjected to parental alienation mm -hmm. and now doesn't want to spend a, a moment with dad. And you have an AMC saying, yeah, child doesn't want to be with dad and therefore uh, I'm going to advocate that child not be with dad. Knowing that mom is the root cause that's right. The problem. That That's right. to me sounds incredulous. As a judge, I mean, just as a judge, I'm thinking, you're wasting my time. Well, and, is. yeah, and I think it's interesting because there are some exceptions to this. So, you know, if you have an older child who maybe has some sort of, um, you know, special needs or, or for example, you know, I had a case where they had some processing disorders and some anxiety, you know, some of those things might be able to kick you out of an AMC based on the age of the child. Mm -hmm. I, I think in Connecticut, they tend to look at, hey, we, you know, we've got a child of you know, 13, 14, 15, GAL isn't appropriate. But then you start looking at the facts and circumstances and saying, well, maybe in this case, we really do need someone um, who is gonna be looking out for their best interest. Sometimes if there's enough you know, um, money in the case to hire both, the judge will say, go with both because then you've yeah. got someone who's, you know, so it depends on the facts and circumstances and the, you know, the positions of the parties as to whether that's a possibility. Um, but it certainly can be very tricky. You're absolutely right with that. Gosh. I, I mean, it is amazing because then age comes into play, I think, because uh, I mean, I was unlicensed in Georgia and there's some age indicators in which the choice of a child's preference is mandatory absent some sort of nefarious behavior. But imagine age would be a factor because, I mean, let's say you have an eight-year-old who's telling the AMC, yeah, I want to be with dad or I want to be with mom. And they have to uh, abide by that or is age come into play? So age comes into play there because they don't think um, that someone at the age of eight probably should be making decisions like that. You know, again, it comes back to the, you, you can't empower the children to make the decisions. The parents are the ones that have to be, you know, enforcing custody and so on. So it comes back, you know, there, I don't know that there's a bright line age that they look at and say, okay, now it's automatically an AMC versus a GAL. Mm -hmm. But I think you, again, it's, you know, it's a gray area, you know, 13, 14, 15, you know, are you really going to try to get a 15 year old? into the car to go over to the other parent if they really don't want to. So that's what I was meaning by, you know, you lose, you win the battle, but you lose the war. Um, so that's why it's so critical to get the right person in place to really look at, you know, what the issues are and, and what, what they need to do for these children. It's so complicated now that you have this dual role. I mean, in Missouri, we have guardians, and then we have these social workers, at least in St. Louis County, uh, that are employed by the state, and they can facilitate parents who are having trouble with exchanges, agreements. Um, it, it sounds like an AMC in some regard, they're neutral, but I mean, some regards, and they, they can testify, but gosh, the AMC just seems so problematic. So the question from, for you is, what do you think, I mean, in your practice, are you saying, hey, more to GAL than AMC or AMC to GAL? Again, it depends on, on your case. I think 90% of the time I would say GAL mm -hmm. because you really are trying to get at what's at the best interest of these children and, and what is going to be what they need to be able to thrive and, and for the parents to really buy into the, to the custody and parenting, right? Mm -hmm. But then you may have a situation where a, a, an attorney for the minor child, because you do have someone who, you know, a child who's 15, 16, who, you know, is going to be out of the parenting plan relatively soon, and they really truly have a voice, and maybe they are competent enough to make that 
you know, decision or, you know, express their wishes and, and an attorney for the minor child might be the right thing. Um, I think, again, it's so fact specific that you really have to look at it. But it is one of those things that uh, I tend to lean more towards a GAL because I think that, you know, what they can do in terms of helping with your custody case and and what they can bring in and what they can um you know, discuss is much broader than what an AMC, you know, they're bound by privilege because the child is their client. Wow. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, a totally different kettle of fish there. Gives a lot of, of um, I guess, understanding to strategizing and why meeting yes. with an attorney before things happen is important yep. to determine what you really want to do and not let it get you know ahead of you. So uh, Alex, again, Thanks for joining and really bringing to light to me, which is a mind-blowing, you know, <laughs> addition to family law, which I was unaware of. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's something that guys should really check out in their state if they've got something similar uh, in their choices between the two. Go get an attorney. Thanks, Alex, for joining. Thanks a lot. Well, again, we try to bring you some of the information that maybe you've never heard of like I never heard of today, which is great stuff. So uh, this, just like this, there's other information out there on our social media, on our YouTube channel. Check it out. It is loaded with information, including these podcasts, as well as our virtual town halls, as well as dadsdivorce.com has articles relevant to your case and situation. But we want you to have a consultation, whether it's with us at 866-DADS-LAW or find an attorney in your area that just practices exclusively in family law. But check us out at CordellCordell.com. Continue to su subscribe to these podcasts. You'll get alerted every time something's posted. But also go to Cordell Cordell to check out the virtual town hall coming up in April. You're going to want to register. You're going to want to join so you can ask questions and get answers during that town hall from the panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys. So until next time, have a great week.